coming up this evening on NTD Business. The price of beer went up by 10% last week. Inflation has followed us into 2022 big style. CPI show prices are rising at the fastest pace in 40 years. Visit a local grocery chain to see what's going on. The biggest crypto exchange in the world becomes one of the biggest owners of Forbes magazine, launching crypto further into the spotlight. And drug overdoses on the rise, costing the U.S. economy a great deal, to say the least. A new government report outlines some possible ways to fight the opioid epidemic. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here, live from New York City. New year, same old inflation. Consumer prices shot up again in January, increasing at the fastest annual pace in 40 years. Consumer Price Index, or CPI, rose 7.5% year-over-year, higher than analysts' forecasts, and ramping up expectations on how fast the Fed may have to dial back its easy money policies. Didn't take long for the market to react today. The yield on the benchmark 10-year U.S. Treasury note jumped by 8 basis points. That's a lot for one day, rising above 2% for the first time since mid-2019. Gas prices are up 40% year-over-year, despite falling a little bit last month. But soft drink makers say they may have to keep raising prices. Sorry to tell you. That warning comes from the world's two top cola makers, Coca-Cola and Pepsi. They say if they have to spend more than expected on things like cans, labor, and shipping, they're going to have to bump their prices. Prices for non-alcoholic drinks are already up 5% this year, per the CPI. Meanwhile, Kellogg's is also warning of price hikes for cereals and snacks. The company hopes increased prices will help overcome soaring costs for freight and ingredients. It's also trying to offset the impact of the labor strike that hit the firm's cereal plants late last year. And so I visited New York's Morton Williams supermarket this afternoon to ask them about the rising prices. With inflation at fresh 40-year highs and groceries up over 7% in the last 12 months alone for the CPI, we're here at one of 15 Morton Williams supermarket chains in New York City. Morton Williams was founded almost 70 years ago, so it's not the first time it's faced an inflationary environment like the one we have today. So we're going to speak with co-owner Avi Kaner about how he, his team, and his customers are facing the inflation this time. Morton Williams has been forced to raise prices, just like every other supermarket. The CPI shows consumers are paying 5.5% more for fruit and veg this year. Morton Williams says that's simply because it costs stores more to buy it. Meat, fish, eggs, and poultry are up a whopping 12% in the CPI. But Kaner says they must be talking about cans of tuna fish because fresh salmon is up over 60% for him. So, Avi, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's so nice to see you and your crew. Avi, it was last May when we spoke. It was online at the time. Even back then, we were already seeing big price increases. The cost of your buying them of berries and fruits and all different types of things roll on eight months, I believe, now. We're still seeing, at least in the CPI, on your side, are you still seeing the same kind of cost pressures as we were back then? Uh, we absolutely are. In fact, they're a lot higher than they were back then. And it's really across the board. And a lot of it is attributable. It's attributable to three things, really. 
uh, trucking, labor, and commodity pricing. And it comes down to supply and demand. Uh, the demand is there in the United States, across the United States, uh, for all of these products, whether it's apples or fish or, or beer or, or anything at all. The problem is the cost of getting it, of producing it, and transporting it uh, to the customer. Yeah. You, we, we walked around the store just now, you pointed out salmon and said it's up 60% over the past, what, 12 months? Over the past few months, and we're seeing that across the board. I mean, we're seeing, for example, the price of beer went up by 10% last week alone. Not only that, we're seeing uh, consumer good products, instead of raising the prices, what they're doing, they're keeping the prices the same, but they're reducing the number of ounces in the bottle. For example, Gatorade just reduced the number of ounces in a Gatorade bottle, I believe from 32 to 28 ounces. Uh, Charmin, uh, Charmin tissues, same thing, less, less to a roll. So consumers are being hit across the board. When customers see price increases like the ones you've described, do they complain? Do they even blame you for the price increases at all? Yeah, you know what? They shrug their shoulders now. I mean, they, they listen to the news every day. They, they know about inflation. They know prices are going up. And, it, you know, unfortunately, the more people talk about inflation, the more it becomes acceptable to inflate prices. And that, that is a very unfortunate situation because these prices then flow down uh, to the consumer. Uh, but in the case of New York City, prices are getting so high that people are shifting what they're buying. For example, red meat, over the past few months, red meat has gone up by 30%, and it's now slowly coming back. But what people have done is they've shifted to poultry, chicken, turkey, and because it's less expensive. But even the price of chicken and poultry has doubled in price, but it's still more affordable than the red meat. On the meat um, issue and the meat prices, the Biden administration is putting at least some or a lot of the blame on the, the meat producers themselves, in some ways implying that they could be colluding to keep the price of meat high and increase the price of meat. Do you feel there's any truth potentially in that claim? Well, unfortunately, politicians like to blame everyone but themselves, as, as we all know. And that's probably true going back thousands of years. It's the nature of, of politicians. And, uh, you know, is there truth to it? There's always some truth to everything. But is that the primary cause? The answer is no, that is not the primary cause. The primary cause of the inflation is government policy that paid people to stay at home instead of going to work. So these meat processing plants had no workers. The trucking companies had no workers. That's what drove up prices. Government policy is more to blame for inflation than any of the supposed collusion amongst meat manufacturing companies. It's just an excuse. Do you feel the Federal Reserve has any opportunity to tame inflation? They're talking about tightening monetary policy. A lot of people say the reason is to take some heat out of the economy. But how about for a business like yourselves? Could you, are you in a position to face a potential slowdown in the economy? You know, there's an expression, never fight the Fed. But I'll, I'll coin a new expression. We need the Fed to fight for us. We want you to be on our team. And, you know, these government policies need to make it so people can go back to work 
and that businesses can grow again. You want to keep interest rates as low as possible so businesses can invest in the infrastructure. But what's the point of investing in the infrastructure if you can't get people to come work? It goes hand in hand. Do you feel even with the inflation, you, you would still support a, a low interest rate environment to support business investment, et cetera? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It supports no good can come out of high inflation and high interest rates. Um, home ownership will get more expensive. Um, feeding your family will get more expensive. Imagine senior citizens living on fixed incomes. What are they supposed to do? Uh, they, will they say, oh, um, there's inflation, so now I need more income. Uh, where will that come from? So it is not a healthy situation. You want low inflation, low interest. You want growth, and you want prosperity in the country. Avi Kane and Morton Williams, really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Kaner told me that organized theft at his stores is actually the biggest problem he's facing right now. We'll have more on that in the future, for sure. Bills, bills, bills. You may have to spend more on that monthly payment if you're planning to buy a house or if you're on a variable rate mortgage. Mortgage rates just increased to a two-year high last week. It's very likely it's going to keep rising with the Fed planning multiple rate hikes this year to hopefully fight inflation especially with that inflation number we just talked about. Today, Wall Street ended sharply lower. Investors may be worried the Fed's going to get more aggressive with raising rates after that hot inflation number. The Dow fell 526 points, about 1.5%. S&P 500 lost 83 points, about 1.8 tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq today dropping 305 points, about 2 and 1 tenths of a percent. But Disney shareholders may be the happiest investors on earth today. Stock of the company shot up 9% after Wednesday's closing bell after it reported close to 130 million Disney Plus subscribers. That's 12 million more than the previous quarter and higher than analysts expected. The jump in subscribers helped the entertainment company double its profits from last year. It made $1.1 billion in the first quarter alone. Record income from Disney's parks and resorts also contributed to that number. And the White House this week rolling out plans to give states billions of dollars to build electric vehicle charging stations. Here's the Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm today. Five billion dollars and the guidance for states for setting up up to 500,000 electric vehicle charging ports across the country. That $5 billion will be part one of the effort that we are undergoing with the joint office between the Department of Energy and the Department of Transportation. Congress approved the funding as part of the trillion-dollar infrastructure bill last year. The money will be distributed to over, over five years to build a network of thousands of EV stations. The lack of charging stations is a pretty big obstacle for wider EV adoption. By 2030, the president wants 50% of all new vehicles sold to be electric or plug-in hybrid. He also wants half a million new EV charging stations. Well, that's for the future. Well, sort of. But right now, right now, some automakers are having to halt production in Canada and the United States. 
They're short of some parts because trucks are blocking the border crossing to Detroit, Michigan, protesting Canada's vaccine mandates. The mayor of Windsor, Canada, says he's concerned about the impact on the local economy, but he says the demonstration has been peaceful and he's not planning on removing the protesters by force. The Canadian truckers' blockade at a key border crossing is prompting concern from the White House. The Ambassador Bridge is Canada's busiest link to the United States and accounts for about 25% of trade uh, between the two countries. And so the blockade poses a risk to supply chains for the auto industry because the bridge is a key conduit for motor vehicles, components and parts and delays uh, risk disrupting auto production. Trucks in Canada were diverted to the Blue Water Bridge in Michigan after truckers shut inbound Canada traffic at the Ambassador Bridge. Multiple U.S. automakers, including Ford and Toyota, have halted some production at their Canadian plants. Ford said Wednesday that it has suspended engine output in Windsor. Another plant in Ontario is also operating on a reduced schedule. Still, voices differ among U.S. lawmakers. Senator Ted Cruz says Canadian truckers represent an organic groundswell from the people. I think the Canadian truckers are standing up not just for the freedom of Canadians, but for the freedom of Americans. So look, I'm pro-vaccine, I've been vaccinated, but I also believe in individual liberty. It's your choice whether or not to choose to get a COVID vaccine, and you shouldn't have some petty tyrant forcing you to make that choice. Canada's Freedom Convoy organizers insist that the country's pandemic restrictions are far stricter than those in the United States, saying they hurt the businesses, industries and livelihoods. A recent survey also found that a majority of Canadians, up to 54 percent, favoured lifting COVID restrictions. A new government report estimates how much fatal drug overdoses cost the United States last year. It's a lot. The report also suggests ways to combat the problem, though. Anthony's Evelyn Lee has the details. Overdose deaths cost the U.S. economy $1 trillion a year. That's what the Commission on Combating Synthetic Opioid Trafficking estimates. But it's not just a threat to the economic well-being and to the lives of Americans. The Commission says it's also one of the most pressing national security challenges. In terms of a loss of life and damage to the economy, uh, I think the report said that uh, synthetic opioids have the effect of a slow-motion weapon of mass destruction in the form of a pill. The report revealed that synthetic opioids were responsible for about two-thirds of drug overdose deaths in 2021, most of which are attributed to fentanyl. What people need to understand is that it's, uh, it's much bigger than the U.S. government. To unilaterally uh, deal with it is going to be very difficult. Uh, on, on our side, on the U.S. side, the big issue is trying to combat demand and look at what's being smuggled into the U.S. Law professor Ronald Reichleck says it's an international problem with cartels in Mexico and manufacturers in China. Casey Fleming is the CEO of Black Ops Partners, an intelligence think tank. He says the chemicals that make fentanyl are shipped to the ports of Mexico, and there drug cartels and their distribution networks come into play. But the root of the problem lies somewhere else. The fentanyl manufacturing capital of the world is Wuhan, China. While China is aware of the issue, Reichleck says that the Chinese regime is doing the least amount possible. And according to Fleming, it helps China weaken the U.S. as an adversary. According to the Center for Economics and Business Research, China may overtake the U.S. as a number one ranked economy by 2030. At some level, it does depend upon making certain that People don't demand it as much, trying to get people to stop desiring it, wanting it, 
purchasing it, misusing it. Reichlich says the report provided 76 different approaches that can be undertaken, and understanding the demand for opioids is one of them. So how will the administration handle the problem? We've got this, this dichotomy on how we approach things where we're trying to, and we recognize it's a, it's a health issue, and we're trying to make sure that people uh, are treated for this health issue, but at the same time, we're trying to punish it and stop people from getting involved in it. And that makes it very difficult for criminal law Reichlich says he thinks the current administration will lean towards looking at the issue as a medical problem. He says that may be part of the solution, but tightening standards at the border should also be part of it. Evelyn Lee, NTD News. With that, we're going to take a quick break, but still to come. Space weather is wreaking havoc on some SpaceX satellites. could even destroy dozens of them. And with the Super Bowl coming up this Sunday, retailers are offering big discounts for big screen TVs. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. back. Watch out fast food chains of the world. It seems McDonald's is planning to enter the metaverse. Mickey D's has filed at least 10 trademark applications talking about virtual restaurants that serve actual and virtual goods. It also mentioned virtual events and concerts, even downloadable artwork or music, that is NFTs or non-fungible tokens. Other big companies that have filed trademark applications related to the metaverse Walmart and Crocs. The world's largest crypto exchange, Binance, is buying a big stake in American business mag Forbes. Comes as Forbes is looking to list on the New York Stock Exchange. Anthony's Phil Zoe has the story. The biggest crypto exchange, Binance, is investing $200 million in Forbes becoming one of the biggest owners of the business magazine. Well, Forbes' reach is definitely international. It gives more legitimacy to the crypto community. It made me smile for a second. Known for its annual list of the richest people in the world, Forbes has been around for over a century. Because it's all about normalizing crypto. And Forbes has been around for a long time, and they're very highly regarded by traditional Wall Street investors. Forbes said its news and content reaches 150 million people. To really kind of spread the message of crypto and kind of take some of the mystery and some of the fear away for some of Wall Street's traditional large investors. The money will help Forbes merge with a special acquisition purpose company, or SPAC, as it's getting ready to list on the New York Stock Exchange. The amount of money, the amount of audience, and the industry is growing so big that probably we will see even bigger deals uh, very soon. Vlad Panchenko is the founder and CEO of crypto platform D-Market. Very soon it's getting even bigger, like 10 times, 20, 30 times and lots of technologies are coming. So I hate the term win-win, but it really is a win for both groups by making this deal come together. Bob Bilbrook of Capture says this partnership not only helps crypto, but puts Forbes in the spotlight. It makes Forbes relevant overnight. It, it gets them involved with a cutting-edge crypto exchange 
it, it would make me more interested in finding out if maybe a subscription to Forbes makes more sense. Binance was originally based in China, but moved out of the country when the Chinese regime banned crypto exchanges a few years ago. Potentially, they moved out of China so they'd have more freedom to do the innovative things they want to do with this crypto exchange and without the you know Chinese government looking over their shoulder. Phil Zhou, NTD News. And some people watch the Super Bowl for the game, others for the epic commercials. Some of those commercials are released a few days ahead of the big game. Actress Scarlett Johansson and her husband are featured in one this year for Amazon's Alexa device. Many people already think Alexa is spying on them. The ad supposes what could happen if the device could actually read minds. Hey babe, check this out. Alexa? It's game day. Streaming football on Prime Video. Closing blinds. Chilling rosé. Rosé? Well, it's an afternoon game. It's like she can read your mind. And the Super Bowl can also be a great time of the year for deals on big screen televisions. Experts say if you're looking to buy a new TV, you could see some of the biggest price drops of the year over the next week. If you can't be at the Super Bowl, watching it at home on a new big screen TV might be the next best thing. And with retailers offering some of the best prices of the year, it might give you a reason to splurge. The Super Bowl is often the first chance that retailers really have to lure consumers back in after, you know, a big holiday shopping season at the end of the previous year. Julie Ramhold, consumer analyst at DealNews.com, says retailers are dropping prices on big screen TVs right now, motivated to move older models out in time for new ones, which typically drop in March or April. And the deals are plentiful right now. Expect anywhere from 25 to 30% off on average. We found this 65-inch Philips 4K Ultra HD TV at Walmart for less than $500. And Amazon's selling this 43-inch TCL Smart TV for just under 300 bucks on its site. And if you're looking for a much, much bigger screen... You can find an 86-inch LG TV at Costco right now for around $1,400. You're not going to find the big screen sets for less than 1000 If you're in the market for a new TV set, Ramhold has these three recommendations. One, decide what features you want. Two, don't buy more than you need. If you don't have the room for it, it's just going to be a pain. And finally, do some research and compare prices. Weather conditions on Earth can have an impact when rockets can launch. Obviously, you can stop them. But apparently, space weather can cause problems, too. About 40 SpaceX Starlink satellites will likely drop from orbit due to a geomagnetic storm. The storms occur when charged particles from the sun or solar winds come into contact with the Earth's magnetic field. Officials say the storm is affecting the area where some of the SpaceX satellites were sent, and the atmosphere is so dense, the satellites won't be able to make it to their intended targets. SpaceX knew about the storm, but still went ahead with the launch on February 3rd. Firm said the SpaceX satellites will incinerate when re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. No parts will hit the ground, apparently. No word on how much of a financial hit this will be for Elon Musk and his company. And April will mark the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 16 mission that carried three astronauts to the moon. 
And to prepare for the celebrations, workers are beginning a bit of a cleanup of the spacecraft. Let's take a look. The Apollo 16 capsule will be soon rolled out again to celebrate the 50th anniversary of its mission to the moon in April 1972. But before that, workers at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center in Huntsville, Alabama, will be busy cleaning the spacecraft. We clean because it is always better when you're looking at something that's nice and clean, but also cleaning is an important part of conserving the object for the future, whether that's a spacecraft or it's a spacesuit or you know, any kind of museum object will occasionally need to be cleaned uh, in an appropriate way so that you are preserving it for future generations. Workers removed dozens of items that people had stuck through cracks in the case. They said the spacecraft was in pretty good condition considering its age and how long it had been since the last cleaning, which took place about three years ago. The case is not completely hermetically sealed, which is actually an important thing. You don't want to completely seal it off and have no air circulation. And so we do occasionally get insects and fluff and those sorts of things in there. Sometimes some foreign debris, you know, makes it in there by people trying to do things. The capsule is on loan from the Smithsonian Institution and has been displayed at the museum since the 1970s. A retired NASA astrobiologist who serves as an educator and guide at the museum says decades ago there was once a time when visitors could touch the spacecraft. But preservationists later realized that the capsule didn't hold up well under the constant touch of tourists. This is a piece of history that human beings should be able to enjoy millennia from now, not just in the next few decades or centuries, but uh, it should be kept and preserved because it represents uh, one of the greatest triumphs of the space program of the planet Earth. The three astronauts of Apollo 16, Kat Mattingly, John Young and Charlie Duke, are expected to attend a celebration marking the 50th anniversary of the mission. That's the latest business updates for today, but you can still catch Anthony Evening News with Stephanie Cox. That's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. For Anthony Business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.